On October 4th, the Human Rights Foundation's community reunited for the 2021 Oslo Freedom Forum at the New World Center in Miami. Guests from all corners of the globe joined together to discuss the year's most pressing human rights issues and to brainstorm new ways to expand freedom worldwide. Welcome to Dissidents and Dictators, a series of conversations by the Human Rights Foundation dedicated to exposing and challenging authoritarianism around the world. Our theme, Truth Ignited, sought to amplify the voices of those who speak truth to power and to ignite movements that seek justice and democracy and defy authoritarian regimes. The 2021 program featured inspiring talks by global activists, scholars, and journalists, including from Belarus, Burma, Cuba, Iraq, Nigeria, the Uyghur region, and Venezuela. These are their stories, united around a common cause of uncovering truth. This episode was recorded during the 2021 Oslo Freedom Forum, a global gathering of activists and dissidents united in standing up to tyranny. Since 2009, individuals have come from across the world to educate, share, and inspire at the Oslo Freedom Forum. You can watch this programming and more on the Oslo Freedom Forum YouTube or Facebook pages. Thank you, muchas gracias. Muchas gracias. My country, Venezuela, used to be an island of democracy in Latin America. It used to be surrounded by dictatorships, and it used to be a prosperous nation. A nation with problems, like many others, but a nation that was willing to solve those problems through democracy. Everything started to change 21 years ago, when Hugo Chavez was elected, and he started to impose an authoritarian system into Venezuelan institutions and society. It all started by the change of the Constitution. It started by the change of the people who were leading the institutions in Venezuela. Many people thought that these were changes that were necessary. At the time, the population thought that with the change of the Constitution, everything was going to change. But what really changed was that we lost democracy. And we lost democracy in a way that it was gradual. It wasn't a day situation that happened, but it was a process where many people started to see that those that were confronting the dictatorship or were willing to stand up to the dictatorship were losing the fight. So they closed the TV channels. And many, many people thought that this was maybe because of the owners were publishing things that they shouldn't have. Then they went against the union leaders and they imprisoned them. And maybe some people thought that these union leaders were saying and protesting in ways that they shouldn't have. They went against journalists. People thought that maybe they were saying too much about what was happening. They went against artists. And they went against businessmen, against people who were landowners, against politicians. And all of a sudden, we looked back and freedom was confined from our country. Didn't happen in isolation. It happened in the eyes of the rest of the world. 
We went out to Latin America, to the United States, and to Europe, alerting what was happening. But we were not heard. We were presented as being exaggerating what was happening in Venezuela. We heard things like Venezuela has become an experiment of a new democracy, a, tropica a tropicalized democracy. Venezuela, sure, is having some problems with democracy. Some people said that it was an authoritarian, a competitive authoritarianism, and all sorts of adjectives not to call things by their name. So in the year 2013, after Maduro stole the presidential election for the first time, we had a discussion in our political party. We were brought into a discussion with a simple question. Are we in a democracy or in a dictatorship? And at that time, 2013, the Venezuelan people, the majority of the Venezuelan people, still didn't call what was happening in our country a dictatorship. And even the people around the other countries, of course, didn't call what was happening in Venezuela a dictatorship. Our conclusion was that it was a dictatorship. And then the next question and the next challenge was what to do about it. We had a political movement that was filled of young people that were the leaders of the student protest, filled of union leaders, of social leaders, people from all over the country that we trained ourselves in nonviolence methods. We read the books of Alinsky, we read Rin Sharp, we read everything of the experiences that had to do with the civil rights movements, with the Arab Spring, and it, all the experiences were brought into our training. And in January of 2014, we decided to call for the streets. And to call for the streets in order to protest and open possibilities for democracy. And we did that because democracy was being lost, but our country was also being lost. The effect of losing democracy in Venezuela was the change of what was once a very prosperous nation into the poorest nation in Latin America. Yes, even below Haiti. Venezuela today, according to the IMF, and according to a recent study published in Venezuela, is even poorer than Haiti. More than six million Venezuelans have left our country looking for opportunities, looking for shelter, looking for jobs, looking for security. Most of them are young people who have left. 94% of the population is under poverty. 70% of the population is under extreme poverty. And this is not the result of a war or of a natural disaster. It was the result of the ideas of authoritarianism that brought this disaster at all levels, even at the ecological and level, Venezuela has become a disaster with the extraction of blood gold in the south of our country. So we went out to the streets. We went out to the streets with tens of thousands of people. And they took us into prison. Not just myself, but many of us were taken into prison. Many of us were persecuted. Many were injured and some were killed. In my own personal experience, I went to prison on January the, on February the 18th. I was locked into a solitary confinement cell. And in that moment, that's when I really learned what freedom was about. I really didn't know what freedom was about before being confined in a two by two prison cell. I knew what many of you might think of about freedom, freedom, you link it to 
poetry, link it to literature, to institutions, to the law, to many other things. But freedom, once you don't have it, it's like the oxygen. We are all breathing here and we don't think about oxygen. But if we start to lack the oxygen, we will start all thinking about the need of oxygen. And the same thing, same thing happened with freedom. So I learned very well what was the core of the issue in Venezuela, the loss of freedom. I was sentenced in a bogus trial to 14 years in prison. And then after four years in a military prison in Ramo Verde, I was taken to house arrest. Every day I had to take two, uh, four pictures at 6 a.m., 12, 4 p.m. and 8 p.m. with the newspaper of the day, like if I was a kidnap like the FARC or the LAN. My house was surrounded and they made my house into a prison. In April of 2019, I was able to escape my prison with the help of the guards and the military. And I was able to go to the streets for a couple of hours and then I went to the Spanish embassy where I stayed a year and a half. In total, I was confined from freedom for seven years. But this was a moment where I strengthened my conviction and my views that there needs to be the, the will to fight in Venezuela. This is the day I left Venezuela. In the back of that picture is Colombia. And that's how I was able to escape from my country, dressed as an electricity technician in order to escape and go over all the uh, military in the way from Caracas to the border of Colombia. The issue of Venezuela might be seen as a singular issue, but it's not. It's a global problem. Today, 2.8 billion, other people say 4 billion people are living under authoritarian regimes of all different sorts. And over the past two days, we have heard many testimonies of people from different countries. We have heard from Nicaragua, from Cuba, from Iran, from Myanmar, from uh, North Korea, and from many other countries. And we all realize now that this is a global phenomenon and we are all facing the same problems. We are all facing the same problems, regardless if it's in Africa, in Asia, in Latin America, or in Europe. We're facing authoritarianism. And we can see that these protests have taken all over the world. Cuba, Egypt, Hong Kong, Iran, Iran, Bielorussia, Burma. So I would like to share with you what to do about it. Well, the first thing is to recognize what the problem is. Many people ask us, why is Maduro still in power? Many people try to get a simple answer from that, that the opposition is divided or that there has been mistakes made along the way, which might be true, but not the core of the problem. The core of the problem in my view, and the main reason why Maduro is still in power is because he is receiving support for mighty and very active countries that are supporting the expansion of authoritarianism all over the world. And I'm talking about China, Russia, Iran, Turkey, and in our case, Cuba. And they are working in a network fashion. They feed each other, they help each other, they learn from each other. They understand how uh, to 
repress the protests in the streets. They feed each other from the mechanisms in which they can control communications and social media. So I would like to share with you in this, in this last couple of minutes what are some of our thoughts of what to do about it. In our view, the main thing is that we need to unite and organize ourselves. These are some of the leaders who have spoken here at also Freedom Forum over the past years. There are many, other, many others, but the first realization that we need to make is that we need to unite the leaderships and the movements of all of the countries that are facing authoritarianism. I have had the pleasure of talking to many of you and I've asked all of the people who have been talking to if they are part of a global network of other people that are facing the same problem elsewhere. And the answer that all of you have given me is no. You're isolated in your country. And even our neighbors, Cuba and Nicaragua, who are facing the exact same phenomenon that we are facing in Venezuela, we are not united. We don't communicate among ourselves. We don't learn from each other. We don't fight this fight, fighting in a united fashion. So the first action that we need to make possible is to unite ourselves. Second, we need to win the narrative battle. Authoritarians have a narrative battle and they have been get, gaining more and more terrain. And they have been attacking us. They call us terrorists. They call us delinquentes. They go against us morally. They use and manipulate social media in order to morally assassinate us. And they have a story about what they are doing. We need to win the narrative battle. We need to rethink about what the narrative about freedom and democracy is all about. I started in the US during the 1990s. That was a moment of hope. That was the moment of the end of history. It was the moment where everybody thought that the years to come were going to be about democracy and a market economy. 25 years after that, things have changed, but not in that direction. There are more authoritarian regimes in place. There are more people living under authoritarian regimes. There are less democracies, and it has become a truth that in order to have prosperity, and an economy that grows, you don't need democracy. So that idea that democracy and market economy were the combination that was going to impose in all of the countries in the world, we now know that is not the case. So we need to win the narrative and we need to create the positive sentiment. We need to make democracy and freedom sexy again, as it was in, 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 the, in prior years. We need to create the enthusiasm to fight for freedom. And this is happening at a moment where the United States and Europe and the free countries are going through a tremendous process of internal discussion filled with insecurities of the American people, the Europeans, about their own model. They are questioning if democracy is the right model to export. They are questioning if the United States or Europe should be part of the promotion of freedom elsewhere. And we need to be part of that discussion and to not only promote a new narrative, but also to call to the public opinion and the leadership of the US, Europe, and the free countries that they need to be part of the solution, not only in their countries, but elsewhere as well. Three, we need to take advantage of new technologies. I appreciate very much that there has been a great level of discussion about new technologies in this forum. And I think that is something that uh, it's being at the vanguard of the freedom fighters movement. 
We need to understand that technology can be a threat, but it can also be an opportunity. Today, technology is a threat to freedom. China is becoming more and more authoritarian with the use of technology. And that technology is being exported to the rest of the world. They are using not only uh, artificial intelligence, but all sorts of ways in order to increase the control over society. But technology can also be an opportunity. I'm absolutely convinced of that. We can use technology and the improvements of blockchain, artificial intelligence, and many other opportunities in order to bring people together, in order to communicate, in order to bring about financing, in order to bring about the um, formation and the education of leaders in the ideas of freedom. So new technologies are an opportunity, but today they have become a threat. And the most important is that we need to have the will to fight. We need to have the will to fight and to fight together. This is a fight that has taken many of us to difficult places. Many of us have gone to prison. Many of us have gone into exile. Many of us have been signaled out as terrorists or as people that uh, have committed crimes. And we need to unite. And we need to have the will to fight. And we need to support each other. And we need to understand and really internalize that the fight for freedom in Nicaragua, in Cuba, in Bielorussia, in Russia, in China, in Venezuela is the same fight. If we have that will to fight, I am convinced that we will have the opportunity to be heard and to move the needle towards the direction of freedom. And I encourage you, my friends, that this is a great opportunity to bring ourselves together. It's a great opportunity to realize that alone, we can only go as far, but together we can really make an impact in public opinion, in governments and amongst ourselves. And I am absolutely certain that with the help of the private sector initiatives, with the help of new technologies, with the help of people that want to be part of a freedom movement worldwide, we will be able to bring about freedom in many of our countries. I would like to, again, thank the, the uh, Oslo Freedom Forum for this invitation. I was here more than 10 years ago, and it's a great, to see how it's grown, how many other people have been part of this. And I believe that we cannot stay just listening to our stories throughout two or three days. There is so much talent. There are so, so many histories, so much willingness to do things in the right way in this room with these people, with your own network, that we need to be determined and we need to assume the commitment to work together and to assume that the fight for freedom in each one of our countries is the fight for freedom in all of our countries. Thank you very much. Bravo. Uh, <laughs> Gracias.